Spearheaded by the Income Protection Task Force, the Seven Families Initiative could be the most important campaign in the history of the protection market. It could raise awareness and increase interest in income protection long seen in the industry as the Cinderella product. And the stories that will emerge from the initiative could start to heal the industry's tarnished image with consumers. My guest today talks us through how the Seven Families Initiative came about and its significance for the protection industry. Hear how you can benefit from the campaign, listen to what the campaign involves and what activities we'll see. That's right here on episode 10 of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath Podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. Just quickly, before we get to the Seven Families Initiative, I want to thank everyone who's listened to the Empath podcast so far, and everyone who's commented on the show and sent me supportive emails. And thanks too to those of you who've asked to appear on the show. I've been overwhelmed by the response. Most podcasts don't make it past their fifth episode, so I'm delighted to reach number 10 today and to have many more in the bag or planned for recording. The Empath Podcast is your show. Please continue to let me know what you think, which topics you'd like covered and who you'd like to hear me talk to. Please visit the Empath page at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. And if you like the show, please leave me a review on iTunes by visiting rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes. Well, that's enough from me. It's time for the Seven Families Initiative. Let's go. I am very excited to introduce my guest today, and he is Peter Lebeau. Peter is one of the best-known consultants in life and health insurance protection. He began his career at British and European in 1981, moved to Swiss Re, where he was initially head of underwriting, and later became head of UK marketing. He left in 2001 to set up an independent consultancy, Le Beau Visage, which focuses on differentiation in the protection sector. Since starting Le Beau Visage, Peter and a colleague Andy Couchman and Kevin Carr also run the Protection Review. He's also set up a strategic discussion group called The Network and the Income Protection Task Force to promote a greater awareness of the value of the income protection product. Peter is a non-executive director at Phineas, Red Arc, Health Claims Bureau and Exeter Family Friendly. In 2007, Cover Magazine voted Peter the most influential person in the UK protection industry over the previous 10 years, and in 2009, he was voted Health Insurance Magazine's Personality of the Year. Peter is a regular contributor to Health Insurance Magazine, Financial Advisor and Money Marketing, and Peter was awarded the MBE for Services to Insurance in 2009. Peter is also a fiercely dedicated Arsenal fan, and I fear we will not be able to get through this episode without several references to the celebrated football team. So, Peter, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Roger. Pleased to be here. How are you? 
Yeah, I'm very well. I'm just just returned from the gym and feeling stiff and achy, but but much fitter. Thank you. A little bit of delayed onset muscle soreness by the sounds of it, there, Peter. About twenty minutes from getting back from the work workout and feel totally exhausted still. But then, never mind. <laughs> so let's get started. And Peter, let's find out a little bit more about you. So tell everybody a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you and to find out what makes you tick. Okay. Well, I've been in the um, life industry life insurance industry for all my career left school and decided not to go to the LSE in 1969 which was a hotbed of radical politics and so I think I missed a lot of fun but started out on my career worked as you mentioned at the British and European which was a great place to work in the late 60s it was one of the few sort of competitors for mercantile in general and uh, it was a time when they were establishing new insurance companies about twice a week literally so there was an awful lot of interesting things going on there and I worked in the underwriting um, sphere for a long period of time and in fact moved uh, got the opportunity to move to Swiss Re as head of underwriting in 1981 which is a great opportunity for me and, and something I really enjoyed and I, I really enjoyed working at B&E but I, I, I had a huge opportunity at Swiss Re which um, just gave me a much more global view of the industry. My frustration though was that underwriting was sort of rather a limited career path so I got more and more involved in sort of marketing and was lucky enough to be made head of marketing at um, Swiss Re in 1987. Moved around the world a little bit doing one or two bits and pieces for them but generally uh, was mainly based in UK and worked there until 2001 including the, the takeover of uh, Mercantile in general and also um, spent a little bit of time at Harvard Business School which was my sort of uh, mid-term sabbatical which I found very very interesting and uplifting. So I left in 2001, started Le Beau Visage and I've been here ever since although to say when you work for yourself in this sort of market it, it's a very different way of, of operating and something new and different happens almost every day. And I've really enjoyed that, it's given me the opportunity to do a lot of different things and I have to say it's probably been the most exciting bit of what I think has been a, a really enjoyable career. Married with one daughter and two young grandchildren who keep me very fit. Or in fact, don't keep me very fit, but make me very tired. I wish I was very fit. Yeah, as you say, I, I, I do occasionally pop along to uh, the Emirates, but I promise not to talk about too much about football today anyway. We've uh, actually worked together quite a lot over the last uh, couple of decades. I was thinking about this this morning um, when I was preparing for the podcast. I think the first time that you actually helped me out was in 1998. And it was the second year after Scottish Provident, the company I was working for at the time, had launched the menu of protection product. And I seem to remember that in 1998, it was what we called the booster development, self-assurance booster. And you came along to the Salesforce roadshows and you gave a presentation on how to make underwriting work for you, the financial advisor. Because I think at the time, as you alluded to, underwriting was seen as a bit of a block and a bit of a, an issue for sales. Whereas what you did is you came along to support the launch and, and explain to advisors how they could actually make the underwriting work for them. And then you came back and helped me out again around about 2001, I think it was, when Bright Grey was in its uh, formative stages. And you worked on a fascinating project.
Impact, where we tried to come up with a completely new way of doing critical illness cover. Uh, we had a fairly ropey title for it at the time. It was called something like the, the Life-Changing Effects of Illness. As a consultant, you brought quite a lot of thinking to the table. It's a shame that that product never actually saw light of day. I think it was just too different for the advisor market. Do you remember any of those uh, campaigns? Um, the Critical Illness Project was, was, was fascinating because I think we were, uh, again in football terms, about 10 years ahead of our time. We were, it was probably too early because we were doing a lot of thinking about the, 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 the defects of the current uh, Critical Illness Product and how you could future-proof it and also how you could make it a more ongoingly relevant product because I think one of the concerns we had was it was a product that dated pretty quickly. And they were great fun, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. And it was a, the, the birth of Bright Grey was an exciting time, wasn't it? Certainly was. And I guess that coming up with a completely new idea at the time, a completely new insurance company a com- and a completely new critical illness product was, was, was probably one of the most exciting things that I'd done in my career up until then. And, and even now, looking back, it was, a, it was a watershed moment. I guess that... As you say, the, the new critical illness product idea was too too far ahead of its time and it wasn't quite polished enough to launch the IFA market. I suspect, actually, Peter, that even if that came to market today, it would still probably struggle because the nature of the market seems to me at the moment that it's quite anti-anything new and revolutionary. And unless it conforms to the norm, it is actually quite difficult to break new ground. Yeah, I've got some sympathy with advisors in one way, they've got a lot to think about but they can be a bit ultra conservative when it comes to new products and I think that's a pity because it is a constraint on on exciting new product development and innovation and we're often accused of not being innovative as an industry but it's very hard sometimes to get people to accept innovation I think that's a case in point and so let's move on to today's main discussion and and this is the part of the podcast where we talk about a business model or a new product launch or a new marketing campaign or simply a hot news story and today Peter I think we're going to talk about the seven families initiative aren't we that's correct yeah it's something that's been occupying about 120 percent of my time for the last six months but it's one of the most rewarding I think important things that I've ever been involved in and I think possibly if it's not too grandiose a claim I think it's one of the most important things the protection industry has done for a long time so very very pleased with what we've done so far so effectively this has come about because of over the years the income protection tax Task force and the industry in general has acknowledged the fact that income protection, although it should probably sit at the top of the advice hierarchy, often uh, malingers way down at the bottom and, and tends to be put third behind life insurance and critical illness when the majority of people who are w- working age probably need income protection more than anything else. And there's always been this feeling throughout the industry that income protection has been overlooked, it's perhaps too complicated, or it needs, like we were discussing before for some new injection of innovation and and really what you're putting together here is is almost like a generic awareness campaign and advertising campaign so so could you like maybe just take us a little bit back to the start and just tell the listeners of the empath podcast where the idea came from and how it developed we go back almost a year to an ip task force meeting where we were bemoaning production figures in the market yet again and realizing that it was going to be very difficult it almost seemed to be a C 
ceiling on the level of individual income protection production. And as you say, we felt very passionately that this is a product that a lot more people ought to have. But how could you get that message across to them? And it was Karen Lloyd, one of IP Task Force executives, who said, what we really need to do is to find some real families and show the problems that they're having in, in dealing with disability and the financial challenges that they face. And some sort of light bulb went off in most of our heads then and we said, well, that is actually a brilliant idea, but of course, how do you make it happen? But enough energy was created just by that idea that we went away and, and, and worked on how we could make this reality. And it took a, a, a fair time to work through some of the challenges, but we came back with, with an idea for putting this together and offering a um, cash sum for a year to families where the breadwinner had suffered from some sort of medical disability, um, something that would be covered. And it was important that it would be something that would have been covered by income protection. So it couldn't be someone, sadly, who was disabled from birth who probably might not have got a, an IP product in the first place. But we, what we wanted to do was show the financial vulnerability that people face when they're really in everyday life and they haven't got any sort of safety net financially to protect them. Okay, that sounds like a really good idea because the people who need insurance most are possibly the ones who didn't take it out in the first place and to effectively give them the benefit of an income protection policy when they haven't got one, again, is, is one of the best ways of showing people the value of it. And I am imagine that there's been quite a lot of challenges that you've faced getting this initiative off the ground. I'm thinking back a couple of years when Tom Bagri tried to get the industry to club together to fund a, a fairly ambitious TV advertising campaign, a generic TV advertising campaign for protection. And I think that he did a sterling job trying to rally all the insurance companies together. But ultimately, I guess, budgetary restraints came up and some companies probably didn't want to take part because they thought other companies might have got a, a better result out of it. What were the challenges that you faced getting this initiative off the, off the ground, Peter? There were a lot. You make a very good point about Tom. I mean, I was very much behind what Tom was trying to do with the CPEC campaign. And he, we, we've talked a lot, and Tom's been incredibly helpful as, as he is on things like this in, in trying to rally support behind this. What I think was really key was to try and get as many companies involved in it as possible. What we didn't want to do was to sort of just pick one or two companies to fund and let it be seen like an initiative with Aviva or with, with Friends or with White Grey or with any other company that, that would have been a bit exclusive. What we wanted to do was to try and appeal to as wide a constituency as possible of IP offices and in fact what we've managed to do is to get the individual income protection offices, the main group offices and some of the short term offices all coming together to sort of help fund this and that I think a great thing. I think one of the key things and one of the reasons that CPEC didn't get off the ground was something you alluded to which was actually the, the sheer physical amount of, of money that, that they needed it's very difficult with budgets being as tight as they are even with large companies to raise huge sums of money and we have got very small companies who really stretch themselves very hard to put in 20,000 into this campaign but for other companies it's not the 20,000 that matters as much it's the reputational damage if this campaign wasn't conducted properly and, and the potential damage to the brand. And I think one of the other challenges was really convincing them that we were going to do this in a way that was going to be really positive for the industry, really positive for the companies involved and really helpful to the families that were, were involved there. And I have to say a lot of the key people in the industry got this immediately. I mean some people within seconds of talking to them were, were almost really right 
acting out checks, which is really exciting. Other people took a lot more persuading, but we've at the moment we've got 17 uh, companies participating and, and one other smaller company who uh, are not a conventional um, insurer who are also putting money into it. So we've got a real participation from across the industry. So I think getting that cross-section was probably the biggest challenge. 17 companies signed up to an initiative like this is a, a fabulous achievement. What's the Seven Families initiative going to look like? We've got the Seven Families, we're giving them some money, which is to replace the income that they've lost because of illness or, or, or disability in lieu of a, an income protection product that they never had. But how's this sto- how are these seven stories going to be transmitted into the industry? Is it going to be through advertising, social media, or, or what is it? Right. Um, let, let me go back a stage first of all, Roger, and just tell you about how we're going to win. We are, in fact, selecting them as we speak, and we expect them all to be in place by the end of the week. Our original plan was to work with a number of charities and to interview and find candidates with people on being supported by those charities. And so we've got a good cross-section of people with different medical problems and whatever. That would actually have been horrendously difficult to do because it would have required different standards and protocols with each charity. So we were delighted to be able to work with an umbrella charity, Disability Rights UK, which we know anyway. And they've done a wonderful job in, in sort of selecting families. And they're going to administer and be the conduit for this. Uh, they're going to be the, the people who, who, who have, a, have access to the families and keep the first line support going to the families during the project. What's going to happen is that we're going to affect pay something akin to a monthly benefit. It's going to be a twelfth of the around 20000 that we pay each family. So, and that's going to represent, obviously we've got to look at the sort of incomes of the, of the various families. That's going to represent about two-thirds of their, their pre-disability income. We're going to obviously make sure that we don't get involved in any means testing issues, although as a charitable donation this wouldn't actually throw up any, any particular issues in that respect. But we want to show, I think, that, that Middle England has a real problem in terms of the financial vulnerability here and what we will do is we will pay them the the amount but we will also supply support to them through uh, an organisation called the Beneficiaries Hub and that Beneficiaries Hub is going to be administered by Karen Lloyd who started off the project in the first place and who's going to get together a, a whole range of support from different organisations who can sort of try and get people back to work and that's the second part of the initiative really it's not just that we want to show financial vulnerability although that's a very important message coming out of the project but the other thing that we want to do is to try and get people back to work intensive rehab in the way that they will get that sort of support in a group or an individual IP policy and some of the the services that we have in the industry are really tremendous they're as good as anything that exists in this country I remember hearing Andrew Marr talking about the stroke that he had and said that the reason that he's back to work was simply because he was able to uh, afford intensive physiotherapy and rehab that ordinary people can't because they haven't got the financial resources to do so well, under IP most people will have that that resource and we want to show what can be done
done and what bills the industry has in, in doing that. And we've also had great support from organisations like Best Doctors and Red Art who are going to give their services pro bono to help the individuals as well. So what we're going to have is, I think, a fairly realistic, high-quality beneficiaries hub which administers each of the claims. Probably a different claims team will look after each family. And then we will transmit those stories through a variety of, of media. We'll have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, Twitter account, and we'll have regular bulletins. And we're going to um, make those stories available, not just to the industry, but to, to the wider public. Try and show people the importance of the message that we're really trying to transmit, that you're really only a serious accident or a, a bad infection or, or, or a, a tragic health incident away from financial meltdown. And we want to get that message across. And I think social media will be very, very important, although we have got Kevin Carr working on the press side as well and we already have spoken to a whole range of journalists within the trade press and some within the consumer press as well and that will continue as a campaign throughout the whole year. It's one of the things uh, topics that comes up on the Empath podcast quite a lot is this whole idea that in the modern digital age one of the ways that we can get our messages across is by storytelling. I think in the past it was all about advertising, it was all about mail shots but today the public tend to go onto the internet and search for answers to questions and if we're putting out positive stories about income protection or about whatever it might be people will find those stories and they will uh, associate their own lives with them and it's such a powerful way of marketing and and perhaps as a, as a financial services industry we're a little bit behind other industries in, in, in embracing that storytelling culture but this, uh, this sounds like a fabulous way of getting seven really interesting stories out there I'm sure that these stories are going to resonate with a whole different set of age groups and people from across the UK and will finally start to put the message across that income protection isn't just a boring insurance policy. It's actually something that can financially help you out at a time when you can't work through illness and accident. But also, as you've said, it can provide physiotherapy, chiropractic help or just practical and emotional support to help people get back on the feet and get back to work. And as a message, that's a really strong one. Obviously, independent financial advisors are going to be very interested in this campaign as well, Peter. So what, what, what can IFAs do to get involved in the Seven Families ish, uh, initiative? And, and what, what have you put together to help them f- to benefit from this initiative? Yeah, thank you. I mean, we, we've, we've got a lot of interest from advisors. Obviously, one of the, the exec team who's played a huge part in putting this together is Ryan McLaughlin, a master advisor. And he's very keen to try and develop as a stronger a support and information support network or for advisors as possible. One of the things that we also want to do, and it's funny that well, our industry, I suppose it's fairly typical, one of the first pushbacks we had from people when we started pitching this idea to them was, well, what happens at the end of the year? Um, what are they going to do, you know, when um, if they're still not back at work and, and, and we leave them high and dry? We're going to get heavily criticised then. And we thought, well, you know, that's a very odd way of looking at, you know, the fact that you've given people this help and support. But one thing we want to do is to try and give all of the families financial advice and we're appointing a financial advisor a number of advisors have volunteered to, to provide that support but we'll be we'll be providing bulletins for them and obviously we'll be directing them to the YouTube and Twitter pages and some of the material I think will be very affecting we've got a firm called HTF Media who've made a lot of films with the BBC and have worked in this area with Disability Rights UK and they, they really are very skilled filmmakers and we've got an, an agency who work on the digital side called Relative who've done 
done a lot of big campaigns and we're heavily involved in the 2012 Olympics. And what we, to be honest, what we said to companies here, we haven't got a huge amount of money. Here's a pot of money. It's all we can afford. We haven't been able to specify a budget. We've had to take the amount of money that's available to us. So we work for this and I'm delighted to say that a lot of very skilled companies have, have agreed to work for much less than they would normally charge, shall we say. But I think advisors will be able to follow this campaign very, very closely. And we also probably were thinking very seriously about putting together a Just Giving page because a lot of people said, could I provide some support here as well? And it will be very, very helpful because we, we, we need to decide where we go with this at the end of the year. Do we keep some sort of campaign going? Do we continue this as an annual event? Do we decide that we, we, we need to make much more of a political point having established the value of income protection in the first year? It so, certainly seems like it could be something that could become an annual event. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's premature to do that. One thing that we we have got certainly scheduled at the moment, we, one of the agencies that we work with um, had a very interesting uh, idea that we um, they showed us some work they'd done in putting together a film with some very well-known actors like Ray Winston and Charles Dance and John Sim. And it looked like a heist movie, but it was in fact a film about prostate cancer and prostate cancer fault group. And they suggested a film that would actually present the, 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 the political dimension of income protection. But before we can do that and make such a film, and I think we could do that very reasonably as an extension of it, I think we need to make the case that income protection is important and that it can make a difference. And it would also take a very significant cost off of, off of the government in terms of welfare benefit going forward. I think that's the uh, thing that's going to appeal to the politicians more. So I think the first year is, is making the case and making uh, it clear that this works. And then we have to see whether the people who are funding it are, are happy to continue funding it, whether there might be more funding available and also what the future development is. Whether I can drag myself through a, another 18 months like that, I don't know. But it should be certainly a very interesting campaign for the industry to take forward. I suspect when you see the stories, Peter, and when you see the PR that's been generated by this and you see the interest from across the UK, I think you'd probably be swept up with it for another year, certainly. So when's all this going to kick off? I think you mentioned before that all the families are being identified over the next week or so. Presumably you're going to have to interview them and, and prepare the marketing collateral that you're going to present to the industry. So what are the timescales and what can we expect to see? Well, of course, this is not the, the ideal time to be putting together things because of apologies and things like this. We are probably likely to start the benefits being paid to families in in early September. So it's not too long away now. It's about six weeks away. So we expect the families to be chosen and in place by the end of this week or sometime like that. And then we will put together, as you say, the marketing collateral. We'll put the administrative processes in force. And we will then start paying the benefit and talking to a lot of the press about what we're doing. What we'd ideally like to do, and, and we have had discussions with a number of people. In fact, we had a, a very nice lady from Sky who fronted the, the launch, was to have a TV programme, some sort of TV programme following this would be great. But it's a very ambitious thing to do. And although there have been some interesting soundings from TV companies, nobody's yet agreed to do this. But of course, we're going to have enough film and documentary evidence and material to actually share this with TV companies going forward. So we, we expected to start in probably the second week of September. I think a TV programme of the initiative would just be great. I suppose, unfortunately, TV companies probably tend to want to make programmes about things that go seriously wrong with the things that insurance companies do as opposed to a really positive initiative like this one. But let's hope that the uh, initiative is successful enough to attract the attention 
of a TV company that might want to uh, make that programme. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've, I've got to be honest. Um, people have recoiled, um, TV executives have recoiled, you know, like those in those old Hammer horror films when the vampire is just about to, to bite into the maiden's neck and then finds a cross or a clove of garlic, you know. <laughs> yes. When you mention insurance, you know, because there is such a negative perception of insurance out there, it has really worried us. Right, Roy McLaughlin's done a lot of work in this respect and has been very concerned and it's made us um, change the approach that we're taking you know we're really not going to emphasize insurance as the first part of this we want first of all to establish a financial vulnerability issue and the, the ability of that we've got to rehabilitate people so that we can get them back to work. I think when we've established that there is a real need and a real concern here, then we can talk about a solution. But such is the industry, sadly, very tarnished image, and particularly with income protection sounding so much like payment protection insurance and people being phoned up every five minutes by um, claims management companies about PPI. There's a lot of confusion and we want to make sure that we establish a, a different case first before we before we talk too much about insurance. It does remind me going back again a decade or so to the beginning of Bright Grey when I'd always had this image that in the early days Bright Grey's insurance product had the Red Arc add-on which again you were, you were instrumental in bringing to, to market with us and the idea was that people would buy the insurance product and they would get the, uh, the practical and, and emotional help at the time of claim and I always had it in my mind that over a period of time the importance of the various elements of the product would shift so that whereas people at that time would be buying income protection or critical illness cover that gave them this add-on at some point 10 years down the line or 15 years down the line what they'd actually be buying is the practical emotional support that was what they wanted oh and by the way you also get this protection benefit that pays out as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very interesting at, at the launch. We had two case studies there, and case studies are so important. You know, real people with real issues. One lady um, had a personal appearance by a lady called Inga, who was an Aviva claimant. And I don't think I've ever been so affected by anybody's story. Of I, mean, I, I started to really swell with pride when I heard her talking about the value of income protection. She looked at the audience and said, why or why don't you sell more of this product to people because it's so fantastic and it's not just the, the, the money, it's the support and the reassurance that you give people. That's what we need to do as an industry. You need to get in touch with our emotions again. We're far too factual. When we see something like that, you realise that what we do is pretty wonderful, but we don't ever really talk about that. Of course, it goes back to what we said about storytelling again, doesn't it? A lot of stories are emotional. That's why people like listening to stories because they have an emotional thread running through them. This, this has been so interesting, Peter, and the, the campaign is coming together uh, fabulously and I really can't wait to see it hit, hit the press, hit the market, and I really hope that it's going to be very successful and it's going to have that double whammy. It's going to elevate income protection into the forefront of people's minds, but also perhaps it'll be the start of a shift in people's perceptions about the insurance industry as well. Before we go, on the Empath podcast, I always like to finish off 
with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to stay for a few more minutes and answer those? Absolutely, yeah. So, Peter, if there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving the, you know, the proverbial magic wand, what would it be? I'd like to inject a lot more passion into people. I think that, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of the passion that we've had. There are some passionate people. We we awarded one the other day at the um, the Protection Review uh, dinner in Johnny Timpson, who, you know, he's incredibly passionate about what he does and has a huge belief in it. And we need more people with that sort of passion. And I'd love to see us, us sort of taking more, perhaps, passion and pride in what we're doing. Because what we're doing is incredibly important, both in human terms and economic terms. I think we need to inject a much more entrepreneurial spirit within financial services companies. I think I realised that when I, the higher up within Royal London I got, that it's just the way that companies are. There's so much focus on compliance, there's so much focus on risk, that you actually tend to stifle creativity. And if people's creativity is, st- is stifled too much, then their passion just fades away. So we've got to find a way of nurturing that creativity without breaking any compliance or risk rules. What's the one business model or product campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? I like a lot of the stuff that Proof protected. I think they're a good example of a company that have a, that real passion and their belief and a lot of the stuff they do around vitality is really driven by a real I think almost messianic belief that what they're doing is, is good that they the message they're putting across that you that it's not just an, an insurance product that there's a a lifestyle that will help people to, to live better lives around it is, is something that, that I really have a great deal of, of respect for. I think that, that we haven't, we've probably not seen so much innovative marketing in the last few years for the reasons that you just articulated very well. I did like some of the work that Aviva have done in terms of their, their advertising. It's more than a year or so ago, but I think that, that they did get people to sit up and take notice. Unfortunately, uh, they didn't follow up or weren't able to follow it up for Sustain campaign, but certainly, although it's a couple of years ago now, maybe two or three, the Paul Whitehouse advert, I think was really uh, interesting and really made people think. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and to your business. Uh, I'm not a very technology-focused uh, sort of individual, but I do find that I, I get more and more sort of that thrown at me and I look at it. I think probably the biggest thing that I have already found a, a benefit from doing this on Skype, it's probably terrible to say, it, is, is probably FaceTime. I find FaceTime incredible. I had a conversation with my uh, from Paddington Station uh, to my grandson in Australia when it was his sixth birthday and the woman next to me afterwards a lady sitting there and he said oh well, you know were you speaking to someone very far away and I said I was speaking to someone in Australia so I think that that's made a, a huge difference to the, the sort of ability to communicate I think also the the stuff that we've done in the protection review making it into a, a sort of online uh, publication um, rather than a book is, is, is been so exciting because we've been able to embed video we've been able to make it a much more exciting document and a document that lives not something that we wrote last year and which will um, you know be read for a year and then then consigned to a bookshelf so I think all the technology around that that's made that possible uh, has been fantastic as well and of course the the protection review book as you've uh, just described the e-book which it is in 2014 is well worth checking out at uh, protectionreview.co.uk yeah and finally Peter what's the best 
business book that you've ever read. Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Mm, that is an incredibly difficult thing. I, I think probably the most useful book I've ever read. I've read, a, um, having been to Harvard, um, I was, I've always been a fan of Harvard Business Review. And they published 10 great seminal works from Harvard in one, in one, in one volume. And these were things by guys like Levitt and get, going back a very long way and Shapiro, all the great legends of, of HBR. That was, well, that was so interesting about that is some of those texts were written 30 years ago, but as fresh and valuable as, as if they were written a couple of days ago. The book I had a big impression on me was a book called Permission Marketing by Seth Godin. And um, that was about the, the just the change in marketing that was enabled by the digital interfaces that we had now and um, the way in which companies could actually, knowing what you like to buy, make it much easier for you to buy it. I was thinking of how we could use that in, in, in insurance, particularly in protection insurance. And I think it could be very exciting. I would recommend anybody listening to the Empath podcast to actually check out that book permission marketing that you've just described by Seth Godin but also to check out Seth Godin's blog I follow Seth Godin's blog and he publishes something every single day sometimes it might be one sentence long sometimes it might be an article of 50 paragraphs but everything he publishes has a really strong message about how to communicate with customers in the modern digital world. It really is well worth checking out. So, Peter, before we sign off, tell everyone how they can connect with you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, and, of course, your own website. Well, I'm my, my website is www.lebovisage.co.uk. My email is peter at lebovisage.co.uk. I hasten to add I'm not on Twitter, Roger. I, I, I have a, an issue with Twitter. I'm You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on Google+, and uh, I'll be delighted to hear from anybody who's got any thoughts about the podcast. Delighted to I try and respond to everything that, that people send to me, even if it's abuse, and I get plenty of that. But uh, I also I have um, quite a lot of columns in the press and I'm very interested in people's comments and responses to those as well. I've got obviously very, very keen to uh, hear people's thoughts about what I have to say there. And of course, all of those contact details I will put up on rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath if you want to read the show notes to um, find out how to get in touch with Peter. Peter, thank you so much for talking to me today. Let me wish you every success in the future. Let me wish the Seven Families Initiative every success for the coming year and I'm sure that we'll catch up again soon and Peter well done for not mentioning Arsenal too much in the last 45 minutes thank you very much Roger my pleasure I'll, uh, I'll do that when I see you in person Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions. Okay? Okay.